Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good. I got a little bit different introduction or beginning here, and um, I think it's appropriate. I just got a news flash, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leave tall buildings in a single bound. Look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who disguised as Ken Rideout, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan podcast, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, the American way, and endurance find out how far a person can push himself you just got back from the gobi desert 155 miles six days across that piece of sand longest day that you had to run was 50 miles um you wore a 20 pound backpack throughout the race since you had to carry all of your food and, of course, athletic greens for the full race, you had to carry, I guess, a sleeping bag. Um, I think you took the lead. I'm not sure if it was on day three or four, and then you held on to it, and you won by 90 minutes, basically dominated the field of about 120 contestants from all over the world from ages 20 to 70. I, I hope they find that 70-year-old out there and before his body completely <laughs> decomposes. Um, Ultra-endurance stage race, your first one, and I think is probably your last one, but, <laughs> <laughs> but congratulations. I wanted to give you the props that you deserved, so I pulled out that introduction, that theme song that I think was appropriate for this Um I I tell you, you of all things difficult yet possible, when one is willing to challenge themselves to find out how far they can go in whatever it is they do, and in this case, you know, you found out that you could literally run across a desert, and not on a moved movie set, but in you know in real life. So I just figured that I should introduce you that way and. Just kind of say to all our fans out there that I have one thing to go uh, to say, and that would be, let's go. Let's today be the beginning of a new chapter in your life where you find out how much further you can go, where you challenge yourself to be more. Not to run a desert, I mean, you know, but you don't start with deserts, but just you do more than yesterday with the attitude that tomorrow will be more than today. And, you know, when we do our fights here, which we're doing a few minutes, we often, the participants, just like you just gave kind of a teaching lesson of how far one can push himself, the fighters, they often teach us and inspire us to often open new doors in our houses and explore unoccupied rooms, as I often talk about, where you just, Find out something about yourself you didn't know yesterday and you wouldn't have known 
if you didn't take a risk. You wouldn't have known if if you weren't willing to go, quite frankly, to a place that, you know, was a little scary. I, I'm, I'm sure it had to be a little scary going to the desert, uh, you know, <laughs> with all strangers for six days. I mean, I'm sure you you made a few friends with the scorpions, right? You probably brought back a, <laughs> maybe a pet scorpion. I don't know. I'm not going over your house, I can tell you that much, until your wife tells me that <laughs> everything has been <laughs> cleaned out, uh, you know, from your bags, from your packs, from everything. I mean, besides the sand. But um, uh, congratulations, you know. Just congratulations. Tell us a little something about, I, I mean, it, it had to be a crazy experience, a good experience, um, but I would think one that kind of tells you that there's nothing that's, I mean, almost nothing that's impossible when you have your mind made up that you're going to do something and you find the wherewithal to do it, the urgency. You know, your urgency came from just wanting to prove to yourself that you could do such a thing. And um, yep. it must have been, it must have been really a lot of things. It must have been inspiring at the end, but it must have been scary. You must have asked yourself a couple of times, why did I commit to this? Because, you know, I, I want people to know that that spectrum of human emotions is normal when a person does something that is beyond the pale of what they normally would have thought possible. So bring us bring us through yeah. it a little bit. I'm sure people would. <laughs> we we just had a great interview we put up last week with Jerry Eisenberg, and I'm sure people enjoyed hearing those stories. Um, I'm I'm sure people will enjoy hearing some of this story. Yeah, no, thanks for all that, Teddy. I appreciate you. I appreciate Rob and Sam. Um, I love being part of this team, and I was trying to represent the team as well as I could. And I think when you attach yourself to things bigger than you, it it creates a bigger sense of responsibility in your life. And to answer your question about being scared, I would say that I was scared shitless. I was. I felt just like a fighter would feel walking into the ring. Like, why did I commit to doing this when I got there? It took me about 35 hours of traveling to get to Mongolia. I went to Atlanta, then to Korea, then to Mongolia, then an hour drive into, into a town called Ulaanbaatar, and um, then a five-hour bus ride out to where the, the, um, the race started. And the first night we get out there, I'm in a tent with three women, an Irish woman, a Filipino. Now stop, and stop. A, you're uh, married. You're, stop, stop. Hold on a minute. You're, you're, <laughs> you're married to a beautiful woman. You have a great marriage. You... Um, yeah, you you have four beautiful children. Um, uh, your wife knows you. I I assume she yeah. watches this. Yeah. She, she knows you. Now look, we know nothing happened. I mean, but um, not a lot of wives would be thrilled about hearing that. Yeah, I'm the I'm the, I am the ultra race champion. I ran across the desert. I slept in a tent with three women. What? I mean, the first part is like, it was good. The second part, I, I brought with me a one person tent. And the first day we got there, it was raining like cats and dogs. It was torrential pouring. And they had big communal tents. 
And the woman said, listen, you can get in one of those tents. There's, there's four people to a tent. Someone didn't show up with the women. When you're six days in the desert without a shower, without using a toilet, just using nature, there is nothing but survival going on. Like nothing is on your mind except surviving, eating, and getting to the next step. So these women were the nicest. I was, quite frankly, I was happy to be in the tent with the women. Like uh, the guys, guys were snoring. You can imagine eating six days of freeze-dried food, what people's bodies were doing. It was, um, oh, the women were great. They they were, we were, we, we, they became like my best friends. And um so yeah, when I got there the first night, it's pouring rain and I was literally like, I, I, I'm not shitting you. I, I won the race by 90 minutes. There were times at the first night where I was on the verge of tears in my tent thinking, why did I do this? I have a beautiful family. I live in a beautiful house. I've been so lucky in my life. Why am I here? Why did I do this? I was just like a fighter. I was praying for the lights to go out. I was I mean, praying to get hit by something. lightning. Doing an interview the right way. I've been doing this a long time on ESPN. The appropriate step in is right now. Why did you do it? Because I didn't want to be, I was comfortable doing marathons. I knew I could show up and empty the tank for two and a half to three hours. I know I, know I can do that. I know what, I, what to expect for myself. This race scared the shit out of me. And I was like, oh, just like when I went to a boxing gym the first time. Oh, you're scared to fight? I'm going to go in there and deal with it and confront it head on until, I, until the fear doesn't control me. And then when you get there, you're like, oh my God, this is why people don't do things that scare them because this is hard. And, you know, yes, I wanted to quit. I wanted to leave. But there was, the you know, two voices in my head. One saying, leave, get out of here, self-preservation. And then the bigger voice saying, no, 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 we're winners. We're champions. We're here to do it. Everyone's feeling the same thing. Take advantage of them when they're scared. You go out and step on their neck. And get them. And what were you looking so the to first find day out? I tried one thing for the fans. One thing. What were you looking to find out Could that I, you didn't know? I knew from doing Ironman races that experience in long, of, especially in longer events, even the marathon versus a five k or ten k. When you do anything for more than a few minutes, there's so many things that can go wrong. When you do things for ten hours in an Ironman, a lot of things can go wrong. When you do things for six days in a desert. It, it, you in, immeasurable things can go wrong and i wanted to see could i figure out how to overcome those obstacles because i've never slept in a tent in my life i've never run with a backpack i've never eaten freeze-dried food did i bring enough food i was burning ten thousand calories a day and i only had 2500 per day to eat i own that's all i had with me whatever you have that's what you have there was nowhere to there was no store we were in freaking no man's land. You, we didn't see. The only thing that I would see when we were running were herds of cattle and herds of wild horses. Occasionally, a, a wolf, and a, you know, a bunch of other crazy animals, camels, and and desert creatures. But no people. Occasionally, we'd see some nomads and herders out in the middle of nowhere on horses. But um, I wanted to see. Could I figure this out? And. Um, you know, if uh, nothing good happens when you're comfortable, when you're in your comfort zone, sounds you like a scene. Sounds like a scene the, from the John Wick movie at the end when he was <laughs> when he went out and and was looking uh, for something out in the desert. But that's that's extraordinary. There were times when I was crawling up a sand dune for like 20 minutes at a time to go 100, 200 yards in the sand, where I was thinking. If I'm struggling like this, what is the rest of the pack doing? Like someone's going to die out here. And someone did die at this race before. They had to take their body out on, on a camel. There was no rescuing you. You. This was like real survival stuff. And I, like I've said to you before, when I when it got really hard, I thought, wait, there, there's, we have soldiers out here that are doing this shit and people are trying to kill them. 
No one's trying to kill me. Matter of fact, they'll save me if I probably, if I'm going to die. So I used that. I, I told myself every story I had to, to get through it. And, I, and at the end of the day, I just broke it down into get to the next checkpoint. One checkpoint at a time, then I'd get there and then I'd worry about the next one. And the whole time in my mind, I kept reminding myself that I, when I train, I train like I've never won anything, that I've never won a race, that I have, I'm not good. When I'm racing, I race like I can't lose, like I'm the best. These guys are going to, I'm going to kill them. And I have to convince myself of this and keep that mindset that I'm the winner of this race. And anytime it gets tough, I have to think, I convince myself, hey, everyone's watching you to see how you react in this and they're waiting to see weakness. And I, even if it was just, just even if these were just stories I was telling myself, I genuinely believed this. I, even though no one could see me, I was like, don't let them see you slip. Don't let them see you get weak. And whenever my mind would go there, I'd try to convince myself. And like I told you earlier, I would think about you guys and I would think about my wife and I'd think about the people in my life that I want to represent and make proud. And I'm like, I'm not going to let these people down and let them let anyone see us collectively slipping. And I just, again, reality sometimes doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what you genuinely believe. And I've convinced myself that I'm a representative of all the people in my life. Well, congratulations. You did a great job. You won the fight. Thank you. And it was really a fight. A fight. Oh. You know, obviously. In <laughs> I'm every, so happy. Every dimension of that word um it really great great job um i'm glad i'm glad you're still alive i mean you know uh, <laughs> i mean you know what uh, what did, some people they probably got asked what did you do when you out there in the desert some of the other contestants that didn't win and they probably said i i lived <laughs> i lived to tell the story <laughs> and you definitely yeah. not only lived to tell the story you um you live to really well to triumph um and tell the story and again as we try to do on this show to teach to to talk about the fight the fight in life connect the dots everybody's fighting a fight you know you don't have to go out and run a desert but that's right to go go and do something you didn't do before. You should. You know, you whether, should do something. Whatever. Though you should something be you didn't doing do something. Before. Yeah. Whether it's physical, mental, emotional, take, spiritual. Take or, piano or, lessons. Well, do something. Yeah. Whatever that makes it is. You proud. Something you didn't do before. You know, maybe maybe and you were afraid of doing it before. <laughs> maybe it's to, maybe it's to try out for something for a team. If you're a kid in school. Maybe it's to try out for the drama class that you love to be an actor, you love to be an actress, but you're afraid of getting up there on the stage and you don't want to do it and you're afraid to try out for the drama's, you know, class or or, or club, whatever it is. Um, try out for it. Don't have regrets, you know. Uh, you can't fail if you try. You really can't. You can only, the only way you can really fail is if if you don't, Make the attempt. That that you can fail because if if you go for something and you don't make it, you you can look at it as a failure, or you can look at it as a learning lesson yeah. and a teaching well, you moment can't really and get better from you there. Try. But you can't you can't fail if you try. That's right. Because you find out something you didn't know, and and then that old That's saying, right. "Try, try again." You know, then it gives you the confidence maybe that you need to do it better. But if you didn't if you didn't initiate it. If you didn't take that first step in trying, then then you 
are condemned to you really you it's like being in a solo cell you know for life where you're condemned to never knowing <laughs> that's a awful yeah. that's an awful thing that's that's a life sentence it reminds me of the the poem uh the critic by teddy roosevelt man in the arena you know where he talks about better to be the man in the arena covered in blood and dust than the critic in the stands who points his finger when the mighty man when the mighty man stumbles i'd rather be in the arena getting beat up than just watching from the sidelines and poking fun just be out there trying in life and the one highlight of the of the trip though even though it was really hard every night at camp i made some there were some really cool guys there were a couple of journalists from uh, italy really nice guy from um, ireland the koreans were great the russians course they wouldn't let the russians wear the flags on their jersey which i was just like this is so crazy we all had to wear our our nationality flags and they were like yeah they told us not to wear our flags and i said you know i know i get it the whole russia ukraine thing but i mean imagine if the whole world said the americans can't wear their flag because you unjustly invaded iraq on on fake accusations of weapons of mass destruction like the citizens of a country don't represent the government i certainly am not am not represented by the decisions that the current administration makes at all and to think that these guys these citizens are being punished for the actions of their government is such a freaking crime it's 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 just so out of line nevertheless really nice guys the korean their korean kids were unbelievable it was just beautiful people all supporting each other congratulations we're proud of you um Thank we you, just Teddy. added something to our audience, I hope, um, to that day. And, you know, I'll, I'll leave it with this. To me, often, if, if, you're, if you're just treading water, you know, like in a pool, you're not going nowhere, but you're, you're not sinking, right? You're treading water. To me, if you're treading water, in life, and if you can have the wherewithal, the foresight, the the ability to be that honest with yourself, to look within a little bit, and see that, yeah, I'm in the same place I was yesterday, the same place I was the day before. The effort level is the same. That's why you're in the same place, by the way. Um, you're treading water. I have a saying that if you're treading water in life, it is the first step towards drowning. It's just a, That's right. it's just a matter of when. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? You're, That's you're right. not going under maybe at that minute or maybe the next five, ten minutes or whatever. But you're not closer to the shore not, either. No, but, but you are in the first stage of drowning. Uh, you, yep. don't, you don't know it. You're but, just surviving. But guess what? You will know it. You will know it. So the last thing yeah. I want to say, we missed last week. Um, we put up the interview with the great legendary Jerry Eisenberg, who is a legend. Hopefully people enjoyed that interview. Uh, we missed, obviously, some of the action that went on because we didn't do the podcast live. But we also didn't get a chance to say Happy Father's Day uh, last week. So I just wanted to say, you know, Ken, well, he spent a pretty unique Father's Day, or you know, uh, in the desert. Um, not too many fathers will say they were in the desert for Father's Day. Uh, and I don't recommend it to, to anybody out there. But I hope all the fathers had a good day. And I just wanted to say that we need more fathers. 
that's this country's biggest problem. Ken just made a statement about the current administration, other administrations, whatever. You know, they don't control how you behave as a human being. They don't control your humanity. They don't control, you know, who you are. They don't control, they don't have a blueprint of what you need to be to be successful. You have to have that. You have to sort that out. And you have to be responsibility for your actions and who you are. And I just wanted to say that we need more fathers. I know there's a lot of problems in this world right now and in this country. But for me, we need more fathers. That's this country's biggest problem. Uh, No one talks about it. Uh, Why we have so many problems, you know, in our society in our communities, you know, and I really feel that if you point it to one thing, we don't have enough real fathers. And I'm not talking about, you know, men who can, you know, create children. I'm talking about men who can raise children, teach children, develop children, nurture them into good people. That's what this country needs more, I think, of even more than lower gas prices or egg prices. You know, I know that's a problem. I understand it, the the economy, all those things. But we need fathers to be fathers. And I, I just, we need more humanity. We need more care about each other. But if we had more fathers out there teaching us how to care about each other, how to move forward in life in a proper way, how to be responsible, I I think we'd be in a hell of a lot better situation. Otherwise, we might wind up in the desert, uh, and Ken won't be there because Ken would have already passed <laughs> through that, and he's on to living. He's on to living life because he 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 figured out what he had to figure out while there. So that's my desert experience was one and done. <laughs> Goodbye, never again. Let's go on. Let's go. Let's let's do fights. Let's do. Uh, well, Teddy, speaking of Father's Day, Tim Zhu, whose father, Costa Zhu, was a legend. Tim was in action the week uh, last week when we were off against Carlos Ocampo. Got bit by a dog on his arm like 23 days before the, uh, few weeks before the fight required 26 yeah. stitches. But it didn't matter didn't with his opponent. Matter, Let me tell you, with his opponent, it no. didn't matter. But go ahead. Go That's ahead. what I was going to get to. Was Tim Zhu unbelievably good or was the uh, opponent terrible considering he threw 17 punches, didn't land a single one, and Tim Zhu knocked him out cold in 72 seconds? What did we learn from this, if anything, Teddy? Is Carlos Ocampo just not that good or is Tim Zhu a killer? No, come on. I or mean, both. it was a ridiculous mismatch. I like Zhu. He's still a little raw around the edges, I think. And, and you know, he got a little test in his fight before this uh, with the kid... Um, Tony Harrison, right? Uh, the former champion yep. from from Detroit. I like Harrison. I did some of his fights on ESPN years ago. Um, I I like the physicality of Zoo. I like that he's developing. Uh, you still can catch him, you know. Where it'd be, I'd love to see him with like a Charlo. I don't know if that dance card is possible now that they're talking about possibly Charlo and Canelo. So obviously Charlo's not going to risk any fight. If he could get Canelo on a payday, that would be <laughs> that would be part of that. But uh, I want to see Zoo with better fighters. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous mismatch. Ocampo threw 
a lazy left jab. One of the few punches you talked about uh, that he threw, well, he would have been better off not throwing it because he threw a lazy left jab from too close as he was backing up straight, and he gets hit with a right hand. Then, also, all in the first round, and a, a, a slow jab, again, from too close, and again, the window was open for a right hand to crash in like the frozen, you know, like like a frozen wind on a January night, and it froze Ocampa as he staggered back. Zoo followed him. I mean, you know, he, he followed a sitting duck with a left hook, just as easy as shooting fish in a barrel. You can't miss. Zoo has, as I started to touch, has developed a good following. You know, he, he's gotten better. He's still a work in progress. Um, this is not in any way an indicator of how good or how whatever he is. Um, he's he's ready. He's ready for, you know, like he did with Tony Harrison. He's ready for another step after Tony Harrison. That was a good step. Now he's ready for another step. He's developed a good following in Australia. Um, you know, and that's that's all that that fight really requires talking about. Agreed. On to the next one from last week. My friend, our friend, former guest of the pod, uh, Regis Progray in action. Hometown fight in New Orleans at the Smoothie King Arena where the uh, Pelicans play. He was in, in with uh, Danielito Zarilla, last-minute opponent. Uh, Regis was, didn't look his best. He looked to fight. Zarilla looked to box. Uh, Regis chased him around the ring most of the fight. He did enough to get the split decision win. I think Regis was honest in his assessment after the fight, said he knows he didn't look his best. He uh, copped to the fact that it was a lot more pressure fighting at home than he had expected. He didn't look great. There's no way around it. Um, I think he can do better, but uh, he got the win, retains the WBC title in line to maybe fight a Javante Davis or a, a Devin Haney next, they're saying. But um, not a great performance from him, but he did what he had to do to stay busy. I don't. I didn't get the impression that he was super pumped for this fight or motivated. I know you can't take that attitude. That when you're a champion, you have to take everyone seriously, but... Look like maybe the uh, between the last minute opponent not being that motivated and the hometown fight might have got to him a little, but no excuses. Didn't look that good. How'd you like it? No, he he didn't look good at all, and his stock dropped because his stock had really risen high, where he was being thought of as one of the you know elite guys, and it it took a drop um, from that. Uh, and off could know. motivate some of these top guys to could yeah, motivate I mean, some it, of these top guys yeah, to want to get in there and think that they got an easy pickings. He was being thought on in that really elite level, and now people are wondering. But I don't think it's and got, he's got the WBC title, so you got to think everyone wants to get in there now with him. It doesn't, of course. You know, people are salivating uh, to to certain degrees in in those areas, but. I don't think it's got to do so much where <laughs> being up or not being up or being in at home, those things can create emotional distractions, emotional lows and highs and lows, peaks and lows, um, where it can it can dampen one's performance, it can hinder, compromise. There's no doubt about that. It happens. <laughs> But 
this was different. This, for me, for my trainer's lens, was about technique. It was about what he has to work on in the gym, where he's got to really work on certain things, which, quite frankly, I pointed out to him when I had given him a little help setting up a fight plan for him um, before he fought for the title, the, the title that he just had won. Um, where he he stopped. Um, I can't remember the guy he won the title from, <laughs> but obviously it was before the Zorilla fight. And he, you could probably look it up and see who it was, uh, a Mexican a, a Mexican fighter uh, that that he he beat uh, Jose uh, who Regis beat is it Jose yeah. Cepeda. Yeah, yeah, Cepeda. Yeah, and I had you know I had talked to him and given him a little help. Uh, about or at least my thought that it would be possibly helpful with a fight plan for that fight and uh you know and he fought a good fight that fight he some people might say he's never looked as good as he looked in a losing effort in a close fight to Josh Taylor and that's right and Taylor since has not looked too good to be quite honest um and then he's lost since then but reaches I felt that it was it was te- technical flooring's coming back that he got away with to a certain point and they 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 were shown more they were they were highlighted a little bit more and they came back to kind of give him problems in his fight where um the first thing i want to say is De La Hoya had sent out a tweet um mocking Eddie Hearn for putting on a bad or stink of a show in his fight and it was not a good show. It was a snooze fest. It was not a good fight. There's no getting around that. We wouldn't have the reputation we have if we tried to get around that. Nor would we deserve it. You have to. We, you have to laugh a little when De La Hoya no, is no, making fun of anyone. I'm this guy's Her, a no. But go ahead. Uh, no, the point I'm making is that there's there's no doubt. Doubt. It was not a an interesting fight to watch. But for De La Hoya to set out a tweet mocking Eddie Hearn, you know, for putting on a stinker of a show saying his <laughs> he's a horrible promoter and he should stay in the UK. You know, it's, first of all, it's ridiculous. But you scratch your head, for me at least, saying, why does Oscar seek out this kind of nonsense and attacking of people on social media, which he's been making quite a ha- habit of, you know, whether it's with Dana White or Ryan, including his own fighters, or Ryan his Garcia, own fighters, you know, whoever. The guys, an idiot. I mean, for me, somebody should maybe read him <laughs> that old saying that I'm, I don't know if he's ever heard of it, but it's it's one that maybe makes some sense for him to read, where people who live in glass houses should not throw stones. Um, you know, and and just kind of leave it alone. But uh, it was yeah. it, it was. I had to mention that. But look, it was a snooze fest. Um, Pro Grace's performance was disappointing. I already said that um, in a way that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, like you said, will be anxious to get in there with him now. Uh, he. He truly needs to work on things that I just touched on from a technical standpoint in the gym. And I, I made a list. Let me, uh, let me ask no, you no, this, Teddy, I made a list. Teddy, I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to lay out. I'm going to lay it out because it's very simple. 
what I think that he needs to to do, um, that I think that they need to, the things that need to be on that list of things he has to work on, he's a good fighter, we know that, he's a champion, two-time champion, but at this point, from what I saw, what he continually did wrong in the fight, from again, from my lens, was A, it was three basic things. You you were making head movements from too far out. Simple thing like that. Now, a lot of people don't pick up on that because they don't even know. I'll be honest. There's not a lot of teachers out there. <laughs> yeah. There's not. It's a good point. And, um, but if you're making head movements from too far away, you're allowing your opponent now where he knows he's safe. He can be relaxed. He knows you're too far to hit him. And he can see your movement and he can time your head movements. Um, so that that's number one. Um, number two, you, you got to be closer when you make those head movements. Close enough to draw the punch and then be in position to throw something back. Number two, he was throwing single jabs from too far out with no chance of landing. You need to get closer, step in with the jab, and at times, depending on your range, double up the jab, and then you have to do something off the jab instead of only the jab. And C, well, especially in this fight, it was it was so pronounced. Stop following an opponent around the ring all night. You know, learn how to cut down the ring. And um, the first round, as far as my analysis on a fight, that's it. But the first round progress was... Kind of lucky the ref did not properly score uh, what looked like a legitimate knockdown uh, by Zarilla. Then in the third round, Progres did score a knockdown, which looked like it was it was partly because their feet, maybe you know, a southpaw and an orthodox fighter, uh, their feet got mixed up, a little tangled. But at the end of the day, the punch landed, but it was it was not impactful. It was not a effective punch Zarilla in all fairness see I get down to absolutes not just about well maybe this maybe that he absolutely Zarilla had a hard style to look good with you know he first of all he keeps his chin up in the air like a lantern in a storm which you're dying to hit it um, because it's inviting it's, it's almost teasing you but he controls range with his legs you know stepping out of distance and in spots pot shotting or looking to pot shot or just sneak in uh, a straight right hand against the southpaw regions. And that's what you're looking for, right hands against the southpaw. Uh, Zarilla was mostly defensive except some of the late rounds. And yes, Progress pressed the fight all night, but it was cautious aggression and for the most part ineffective because of the things I just said. He never properly closed the gaps because he didn't step in behind the jab to get close enough. And he did not go to the body of Zarilla enough. Zarilla was moving around, using his legs. No better way to take some air out of the tires than to go downstairs and bang to that body. I was surprised, really, that he didn't do more of that. Um, the fight, to really put more emphasis on you know, why De La Hoya, you know, felt that he could take a shot at him, which he shouldn't, but take a shot at the fight, 
that it was obviously not an exhilarating fight. Um, it broke, punched that record for basically for the ineptitude in punch output, uh, a new low of punches in a fight. So the final say on this, there were many just non-substantial rounds on both sides. Uh, just, just nothing happening. But Ken, we're trying to get a national commission where we got that petition still up for people to sign. I don't know how many say we got 9,000, 10,000, whatever it is. We, we want to keep going because we're going to bring that to Congress to get a national commission to clean up the sport with the judging and with the referee and all that and the people that every week in and week out, out fans are complaining about some, some reason to complain uh, that a judge did this, a referee did that wrong. And it, I think the right guy won the fight um, because you can't give a title. You can't take a title away, I wouldn't at least, to a guy like Zarilla who's really not trying to win it enough. You know, where the other guy is at least pressing a fight. The champion's pressing a fight and Zarilla's mostly concentrating on surviving and then picking some spots later on. Okay, um, but I, I can't, in, in the kind of fight that it was, that it broke down to be, where I said there was a lot of non-eventful rounds, you just can't give it to a guy who's being more non-eventful than the other guy, who, who's just not trying to take chances. So at the end of the day, they, they got the right decision. It was a, But it was crazy. For me, two judges had it huge for pro-grace. I, I Again, too many of those rounds, like nothing was happening. I don't see how you could have it huge for anybody. Um, and yes, you know, like I said, it'd be difficult to give the title to Cirillo, who, you know, just didn't fight enough or take any chances to earn the belt. But to make it lopsided for Progress, again, it doesn't help with what's going on out there as far as trying to have credibility and, and belief in these judges. And, and then to have another judge who, where you have two lopsided for progress, and then you got the other judge gives it to Zarilla. All right, you got a split decision. But when you hear split decision, you would want to assume that that means that all the scores are fairly close. <laughs> Not that two of them are like huge and, and then the other one is close. So again, just another... Another bad night um, for the referee who missed some knockdowns, who, who might have given a wrong knockdown to the judges that had it just ridiculous scores. That Again, it, it's just more ammo, more cannon fodder for fans to say, this sport's full of crap. This, this sport, the administrators of this sport, I've had enough. Um, I, I can't watch no more. I love the fighters. I love them getting in the ring and, you know, them being what they are and finding out who's better and, and, you know, teaching us all, you know, about going to places that you never went to before and finding out exactly what you can find in those places, how good you can be, how, like you in the desert, you got to a point where it just simply came down to finding a way. It, it wasn't about plan it wasn't about a blueprint it wasn't about a, 
anything other than I got to find a way. I got to find a way to freaking get through this desert and do what I came here to. Well, that's what people watch fights for, to see fighters get to the point where sometimes they just got to find a way and they teach us how to find a way. And then you got these judges that take away from all that. So really, they become, they become a, a debilitating part of the sport. They become a distraction. So I had to say that um, we also had a UFC fight. You want to tee that up? That was Vittori and um, yep. Cannoneer. One quick question, though. One quick question. Regarding Progray, you know, I mean, everyone kind of has the same narrative, right? He didn't look great. And I wonder if a fighter, if if in their mind, they might actually start hearing this and start to believe it. If you're the trainer, how do you put that fire out right now and say, no, never mind the bullshit. We had a bad fight. We're going to put it behind us. Let's think about I, how I we're looking that at question Josh Taylor Ken, and build Ken, on that. It's not a complicated question. It doesn't, it's not one of those questions that has a whole column of possible answers. You know what I mean? Where, where you got multiple choices. There's no multiple choices in this business with, with that kind of stuff. It's simple. Go to the gym. If you're the trainer that, that trainers need to be, and, and I, 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 I'm sure he is, go to the gym and freaking st- first go to the gym, watch the tape with him, and say, okay, we're going to correct this, this, and this, starting today. That's it. That I'm, That's my career. Gotcha. That I made a career that way. Look at tape. Say, okay, you moved from too far away. We're correcting that today. Okay, you threw one jab at a time from 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 too far away. There's nobody there. What are you doing? Shadow boxing? There's nobody there. We're going to correct that. Okay, you followed him around. You didn't cut the ring. We're going to correct that. Bang. In the gym. All right, this is what we got. And you work on it every day until you get it. Perfect. Uh, Teddy, you mentioned it earlier, but one of the things that I carried with me for 150 miles was a daily supply of Athletic Greens, that. number one sponsor of the fight with Teddy Atlas. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. Use the promo code Atlas, A-T-L-A-S, and you'll get 10 of these free travel packs that I carried all the way across the desert, not for show, They were light. They money. were light. Now, look, I, he did a lot of great things. Yes, they but are. But they're light. They're they light. They are, but every ounce matters. And every ounce of, of that you carry that isn't food could be deadly. Like I said, I was operating on a 7,500 calorie deficit on a daily basis. Crazy, I lost 12 crazy. pounds. Thank God you had so that. So before anyone tells me I look skinny and terrible, I know please one know thing. I'm trying to gain the weight I, back I, quickly. I know one thing. I You would have thrown away your sleeping bag you were carrying before you throw those away. I know that. I know that. 100%. Yeah, your diet has to be dialed in. That might be why you wound up in a tent. That might be why you wound up in a tent with three women, you know, because you, all right. right, The funny thing is when I first, when I first walked in, the girls wanted to kick me out. And by the end, they were like happy to be in there with me. We had a great time. But Athletic Greens made from 75 whole food source ingredients, easy peasy, mix it in about eight to 10 ounces of water, drink it down first thing in the morning. You can't go wrong. And the thing I forgot to show you, Teddy, is, as a result of the win, look at the trophy I got. Let me see. All right. What what is does big this? giant silver platter? Yeah. You could tell if you tell me there's a plastic trophy for the winner of any event like the uh, 10k nice. that we did. Rob and nice. I won up Beautiful. in the um, Hall of Fame. There's a plastic trophy for the winner. I'm gonna stab you in the neck to win it. I want that trophy. What does it say? And then, does it uh, say my anything wife, on it? It, it says uh, it says 250 kilometers, and the uh, 
250 kilometers in the footsteps of Genghis Khan, Gobi March, oh. overall winner, Ken Rideout. Wow, that's great. That's, that's it, that's, baby. Congratulations, that's tremendous. Um, all right. So please check out athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. Get your 10 free travel packs. Um, on to the UFC. Uh, Jared Cannonier bounces back after his loss to uh, Israel Adesanya. He batters Martin, Vittor Martin Vittori. Good battle. Both trying to throw big shots. Content to stand up early in the fight. Jared Cannonier gets the unanimous decision. How'd you like that one? Well, you touched it with one word. I mean, uh, it really covers the whole most of the fight, at least four rounds of it, Vittori took a brutal beating. And he did it, and he survived because he has a granite chin, or maybe it's a plutonium one. I don't know. But it's, it's one of the greatest... <laughs> These guys are so tough. It's one of the greatest chins I've ever seen. And, man, Kananir is so physically strong, and he's built that way. He's so well-muscled, great shape and he's 39 years old i mean uh, uh, he's a, he's pretty extraordinary um he's a really good solid puncher who's always set with his feet under him to deliver power punches and he does and although he's mainly a striker he did a nice job of mixing it up a little uh, in the fourth and fifth round to get some takedowns which I was pretty impressed with that. Um, except for the first round, which Cadenia lost, Vittori won that first round. He shook him twice with straight left hands. He's, uh, Vittori's a southpaw. He, he caught him with his power punch, um, straight left hands behind the ear. That's hard to overcome when you get hit behind the ear and throws off your equilibrium. Um, while Cadenia was fighting in his unnatural southpaw stance. He turned southpaw um, for whatever reasons. And he was, of course, fighting against the natural southpaw. That's probably why he turned southpaw. He, you know, he, he wanted to mix it up, confuse uh, Venturi um, a little bit uh, and, and come out in the southpaw stance, give him a mirror image of himself. But it didn't work well for him in that first round. Um, because he ate the left hands. But to show you what I always talk about with these guys, Ken, we already know how tough they are, how physical they are. But the top ones, they got to be smart. They got to be smart. He made an adjustment, you know, in the second round. I guess it was, wasn't hard to make that adjustment. You got cracked in the freaking chin and behind the ear, really, um, with straight left standing as a southpaw when you're naturally not a southpaw, I guess it makes sense to switch back to orthodox, right? So he did. Um, but a lot of people, I, I was thinking about that. Marvin Hagler turned southpaw um, to, uh, turn orthodox, I'm sorry, from his southpaw, his natural southpaw position. One of the greatest southpaws of all time, maybe the greatest middleweight of all time, definitely one of them, and one of my favorite fighters of all time. Hagler switched orthodox for the first several rounds against Leonard and a lot of people thought he gave away those rounds and he should have switched back but a lot of people thought he was too proud too stubborn um he made up his mind he was going to beat him that way or at least use that stance to beat him for part of the fight or or to create 
uh, a lead for himself or to create a situation <laughs> where he threw Leonard off by being orthodox instead of southpaw. But he, a lot of people felt that he stayed in that, in that orthodox position just too long when it wasn't really giving him an edge. And that it cost him with the scorecards at the end. And that's one thing that Kananir, right away, I, I, I noticed. He didn't let that happen. He didn't. He obviously had a plan to, to turn southpaw. But once he saw it wasn't working, bang. He switched back to orthodox. And um, he no longer was wide open defensively for the left hands. Plus, it was something else too to it. It set up his right hand now against the southpaw, you know, uh, Victoria, where southpaws are quite often available to right hands. And I called the right the southpaw killer. So it was really smart on Cannonier's part where with Vittori, where he suddenly switched back. And now all night long, he was finding a home against Vittori with right hands. And he came close to stopping Vittori in the second round, which had to be a 10-8 round. I didn't look at the scorecards because he beat him up. And it was just amazing, the heart, and like I said, the just the survival abilities of of Vittori to survive um, some of those to some of those attacks. Um, he also, Catania also controlled the third and the fourth round. Um, like I said, he, he, used, um, he used some takedowns, mixed it up a little bit. He dominated every round other than the first round. Um, he, he, he controlled the third, the fourth, the fifth. Uh, the second, of course, was dominant uh like i said dominated all the way through except the first round made that adjustment after a shaky really a shaky first round very impressive for me uh by the 39 year old Cadenier. i i just wanted to be sure that i gave him his due and hopefully i just did because again uh, 39 years old very Impressive if he was 29, but on top of it, 39. Cut, yeah, definitely. Um, this week in the UFC, Ilya Tapura uh, in with Josh um, Josh Emmett. Uh, again, these guys, the, the UFC delivers week after week after week. Ilya Tapura gets the uh, unanimous decision over the ever-tough Josh Emmett. Um, unanimous decision looked to be one-sided. Uh, how'd you like it? Yeah, again, yeah, one-sided. I mean, the first thing that I took away, and I sent out a tweet about this with my great tweeting team, where Webster's Dictionary should save a little bit of space and some words by just putting up Emmett's picture for the definition of the word tough. <laughs> I mean, really, just put his picture up next to tough and people will understand. Got it. All right, I know what that is. <laughs> um, Emmett's 38 years old and Topuria was 26 years old, 12 years older, uh, Emmett was. First round, close. 
And as it turned out, really the only close round, a little bit very similar in some ways to the fight that I just described from last week, you know, with Catania and Vittoria. Um, first round close, uh, only close round, uh, although in the fifth round, Topuria mostly, I think, protected his lead and made sure he didn't get reckless. But Topuria, he reminds me with his striking a little of Volkanowski, where he's so solid technically, he's so buttoned up with his approach, his overall approach, um, that it, it did it just reminded me of him a little bit. Uh, Emmett's strategy early on was to use his legs to move laterally, keeping Topuria from getting set, trying to do that. Uh, you know, while, while he was also looking for spots to pot shot at Topuria uh, with punches, then, of course, get out of dodge, move a little bit again. He was trying to outbox Topuria. Uh, who was pressing the fight in a very patient, deliberate way, looking to place accurate punches. Topuria was always in control. Uh, never never ahead of himself, never got reckless. Uh, he, like I said, he's a technically solid, buttoned-up striker who has good timing, uses his jab very well to set up punches and to control range while stabilizing his opponent with his jab on the outside. Topuria dominated the rounds after the first. And only Emmett's great heart, uh, again, similar to what I described with Vittoria, where Emmett's great heart and toughness and experience kept him around. It was, it was pretty extraordinary, the one round that he survived. Um, and it allowed, it allowed him to go the distance. While Topuria was calm, collected he forced Emmett to to work a lot harder at a much faster pace to stay in the fight expending a lot of energy and gas while Topuria was cautiously aggressive he was always looking for counters did some real good countering you know uh in there when when Topuria throws he makes everything count uh he he doesn't throw something uh, just to throw it. He, he doesn't waste anything. Grandmothers out there would love to invite him to a dinner table because he doesn't waste a damn thing. You know how your grandmothers are, oh, don't leave, don't <laughs> leave any peas. You know, don't leave that spinach. <laughs> you know, you got to finish. You got to finish. You, you can't waste anything. He does not waste a damn thing. Um, he reminds me in boxing, I talked about reminded me of Volkanowski in MMA. He reminds me a little bit of Inoue, the undefeated world champion from Japan, always set in position to deliver his punches. Um, the only chance that Emmett really had after three rounds, because after three rounds it was pretty much over, was if, but it, it wasn't over for Emmett. I mean, he never stopped trying. But the only chance really Emmett had from that point on was to land a big right hand. And that meant Topurio would have to make a mistake, get reckless, but he didn't. Except there was one spot, Ken, where Topurio led. I always talk about that. You should not lead with a left hook 
in front of somebody because you leave an opening for a straight right to get in there first. And there was one spot where Topuria did. He led with a left hook in front of Emmett, and Emmett tried like hell to time him with a straight right, and he just missed. But here's the thing. After that, Topurio tightened it up, and he went he went into a little bit of a brief ND, and he never got careless again. Never, never made that mistake again. Uh, very impressive. Uh, and also, Topuria dropped Emmett late in the fight with a beautiful short left hook, uh, after his right hand. And it was a perfect example of why trainers will often teach you to finish with the left hook, or like the old-timers would say to me, clean up with the left hook. You know, you, you throw the right hand, clean up with the left hook, come back with He came back with the left hook, the right hand set it up, and it was beautiful. It, it Like I said, it dropped, uh, it dropped Emmett. Uh, also, Tiberia landed some damage in leg kicks. I had to put that in there. Uh, similar to what Dustin Poirier did to Conor McGregor in their rematch, just so that Emmett couldn't set himself. It was a well-thought-out fight plan uh, and well-executed by Topuria, who was very impressive. He's undefeated. Uh, this guy is going to be hard to beat because he's good. He, and he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't beat himself. He does not beat himself. Uh, like I said, a very smart, controlled, uh, efficient uh, fight by Topuria. He was the boss all night. And this this fight man right here um, appreciated it and, and was very impressed. Yeah, agreed. Um, let's move over to this weekend's boxing. Edgar Berlanga in action in, in New York. Hometown fight for him against uh, Jason Quigley, the veteran. Uh, Berlanga scores the unanimous decision. The scorecards were 116-108 twice, 118-106. Um, this is the fight that uh, Oscar was very critical of Eddie with. This is one of them. Uh, Berlanga didn't look as good as he's always looked. He did move to 21-0. and 0. I, should, I should footnote that one. He's always looked good because he hasn't been in there with the toughest competition. Quigley was definitely a step up from what he's been in with. But uh, nevertheless, he gets the win, um, knocks him down late in the, uh, I think, in the last round a few times and um, gets the win. He's calling for some better opponents now. What would you think of that? Did uh, Berlanga do anything to raise his stock here or did he do just enough to get the win? Listen, people will probably be down on him because that's part of the decision you make when you're going to build these guys up. He was a very good amateur, very experienced amateur, Berlanga. He's from New York, and, you know, you you build him up like they build everyone up. No different than, excuse me, than any of the other guys. If you're with one of the top promoters, you get the ability, the privilege, whatever you want to call it, to be built up. If you're not, if you're not with that silver spoon in your mouth, if you're one of those guys that don't have a top promoter, you know, didn't have a great amateur career, whatever. Um, you you got to do it the hard way. First guy comes to mind again, Marvin Hagler. He did it the hard way. He did it, you know, he didn't have like Sugar Ray Leonard who he fought in his last fight of his career, which I think he always was a little resentful of. Not as a fighter. I mean, he, he respected Leonard. 
but that he got, you know, and let it, listen, let him make the most of it. Let it earned it. Let it win a gold medal in the Olympics when the Olympics were much better than they are now. I don't even know if we're going to have boxing in the Olympics anymore because the powers that be screwed that up. The IOC, um, AIBA, they finally got rid of them. Corrupt organization. AIBA's been kicked out. Yep, yeah, that's they got right. kicked out. Imagine, mean, the, imagine the governing body gets kicked out of the I Olympics. Called for you, Olympics. That isn't a sign I of corruption. I called for Olympics if they, and I called for them to get kicked out <laughs> years ago. They didn't do it right away. I, I wound up Teddy, you were calling for that in 2012. It's 2023, for Christ's sakes. 11 years. We already know that what they did in 2012 was corrupt with the Azerbaijan fighters allegedly paying bribes to get wins. It's a disgrace. So I called for me and my partner, Bob Papa, who really should be doing more boxing again because he's probably the best one out there, but or as good as anyone, if not better. But... We called out the corruption. What do we get for it? I never got asked to come back and do an Olympics because... What did you get for it? They didn't even let you sit ringside anymore. They sent you to the broom closet to call the fights on a video monitor. If that isn't insulting, I don't know what is. And I finished the job, and I did. After two weeks of calling 278 fights with Bob Papa and uh, Aiba and Dr. Wu, which pissed me off because... He didn't have the right to have <laughs> Doctor to Wu. have Doctor in front of him because that that for me with my father being who he was uh, a real doctor that that is an honorable uh, honorable title and people that are dishonorable and corrupt like Wu should never have had it never and I told him that my face to face maybe that's why he removed me from ringside or part of why because every night uh, me and Bob were exposing the corruption that was going on. And I asked, I asked, they wanted me to finish up in this little broom closet, me and Bob, to finish up the last two days for the medal matches after all that was invested into two weeks of calling all those fights. <laughs> they wanted us to finish up in a little, uh, you know, in a little studio. And I, I wound up, I could have said no. And I said yes. And I asked, the president at that time, Dick Ebersaw just stepped down. If it was Ebersaw, he would have kept his word. This freaking guy never kept his word. I said, look, I'll do it. I know you want me to do it. I'll do it. And I'll finish it up. But you got to give me your word that you're going to get the IOC to investigate Aiva as soon as these Olympics are over and get rid of them because of what's going on. Because well, it only took 11 they're, years. They're destroying this sport. Well, he gave his word. He shook my hand. I went, kept my word with Bob Papa. We caught the rest of the Olympics, uh, the two days, medal, the silver and gold medal matches. <laughs> he never kept his word. He broke his word. And you know what? He's the reason why there might never be any more amateur boxing in the Olympics because if he kept his word and he did the investigation or insisted on an investigation with the IOC, we... They may have cleaned up in time where the sport would not have destroyed itself to the level that it did and and the loss of credibility to the level that was lost where now it's truly in danger where NBC doesn't even send doesn't even send people like me anymore to location to call the fights. Uh, they do it from New York. They do it from a studio uh, now remotely. 
which takes away from the whole the whole sport and the whole delivery of the sport and it's it's hurt itself so that a sport that's been around longer than any other sport other than track any other sport is no longer maybe going to be in the olympics because of these bums because of their corruption and again because they didn't investigate it when they had a chance to investigate it and maybe save the sport and and something that's so important to fighters that want to represent their country. They might never have a chance to do that again in the way that they should and that they did for all those years in the Olympics. <laughs> so anyway, I I just I just get mad when I think about it. And um but getting back to Hagler and the difference between, you know, being a star with a promoter and not here here's a guy that went and fought all the fighters in Philadelphia, all the middleweights. They had the best middleweights during his tenure in Philly. Nobody wanted to fight them. It didn't make sense to fight them and take a chance because you could get beat. Guess what Hagler did? He fought them, and he got beat by a couple. And then he beat them, and then he fought them again, and he beat them. And, and, and he beat them in the rematch. And he got not only to the title, but he got to where he was one of the greatest fighters of all time. So you could do it either way. Uh, he did it that way. Now, guys like Sugar Ray Leonard, who won the, what was it, the 1976 Olympics with, I think, the greatest Olympic team of all time, where five, we had five, I think it was five Olympic champions they, back in those days, where, I mean, it was Cuba were monsters. The Soviet Union was still around. Uh, you, you had to beat really good fighters. And let it beat a monster. He beat a Cuban. Stopped him. I mean, the guy was like a, a legend in the amateurs. And let it did it. But let it also got the spoils of of victory. They where he got signed up. He got you know big money at the beginning. Uh, fighting on network television. Hegler didn't get any of that. And look, Leonard earned it. He deserved it. And he proved himself to be the real deal, going and winning the world titles that he won and being one, for me, one of the greatest fighters I've ever seen. But Hegler did it the other way. They're doing the same thing with Belanga, where they're giving him, and I shouldn't say the same, because with Leonard, even De La Hoya, for all his nuttiness, he was a good fighter. And when he came up, he fought good fighters oh, he earlier. he was great. But no, but he fought good fighters. He didn't just fight raw meat. He didn't just fight cannon fodder. He fought good fighters early on no, coming he up. Was in and, tough. and so did so did Leonard because they were good enough. And these promoters nowadays, again, it's the same blueprint. You you build the guy up, you get him to a fat record, then then you get a title and you you build up the audience, you get the network that's behind you to be excited because you have a guy who's twenty and old, twenty five and old, sixteen and old, with all knockouts or a lot of knockouts. I get it. But the difference here is Belanga wasn't given and and a lot of these guys, same thing with top rank, all these they're they're building up with nothing but raw meat. And it's not making them get better. And it's just, it's, they're just building their record. They're making their record fast. But they're not making themselves better. They're not being challenged to get better. And what happens is when you step them up a little bit, they don't look good. Because you suddenly go from the wading pool, from the shallow end to the ocean. And, 
And all of a sudden you say, oh, that guy's not as good a swimmer as I thought he was. In the waiting pool, he looked like uh, Mark Spitz. You know, he, he looked like a, a, a great swimmer. But in the ocean, my God, he don't look so damn good. Because they didn't give him a chance to go out into the deep end before going to the to go into a little deeper waters. And that's kind of what the problem has been with Belanga, and, and you're going to see the same thing with the guys on ESPN, all these guys. They, they build him up, the announcers say, oh my God, he's great. He's the greatest thing since sliced bread, since Coca-Cola, <laughs> since everything. And why? Because he's beaten a guy that was put there for one reason, to get beat and to get knocked out. Why? Give him a chance. Give him a chance to learn. Give him a chance to really show that he is that good. So Belanga... Early on, they they give him all these easy fights. He has, you were wrong about one thing, Ken, that, that he hadn't fought anybody his last few fights. In any, no, the last few fights, the reason why he didn't get knockouts, he stepped up. Not great, but he did step up. And I think what happened was, again, people were like, oh, he's not that good now because he's not knocking guy. No, the other opponents were so bad that, that, Anyone, you know, with any ability would knock them out. And now he's fighting better guys and he's developing and there's going to be a couple, you're going to burp a little bit. There, there, there's going to be a couple hiccups where he's going to have to develop a little bit and people lose patience. They say, oh no, he's not knocking guys out. He's not that good. And they start to get down on him and the fighter himself gets down where I think Belanga lost a little of his confidence a little bit and he started and you touched on it. He started questioning himself. Uh, you talked about it with the progress and with different things. He started questioning himself a little bit. And I'll tell you, this was a step up for him. Not a huge step, but quickly was a step up in experience and ability. And people, I've, I've heard a lot of people down on Belanga. I thought that he's looking better. I thought and people could take their shots at me. I don't give a damn. I know what I saw. I <laughs> thought that he had shown me improvement. I thought that he was he was better than he had been in some of his previous fights. I thought that the switch back to his old trainer probably helped him. Maybe not in the corner because his trainer was going nuts, but he looked better. Um, he looked a little more developed than than the guy that he had left his old trainer to, I forget the guy's name, Rosier, whatever, uh, that he was. I thought he looked better uh, here technically. Um, I thought that he, I, I thought there was craziness the whole night in the commentary and everything. And I'll tell you what that craziness <laughs> One of the commentators kept talking like quickly was dominating, like he was killing Belong, like he was winning. And I'm watching, I'm saying, <laughs> I don't know if he's got stocking quickly. I don't know if he had an argument with Belanga. <laughs> Maybe Belanga did something to him and should apologize if he's ever going to fight on their network again. So he doesn't. Well, I know it wasn't Joe. I know it wasn't Joe. No, Tess, so no, no was, one. No, it was on, it was on the a side uh, fighter like like Tess. It was on the zone, and I just zone. Yeah, I, no, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know if the guy was he did something wrong to him. Whatever, but. 
it, it really got to the point where I was like, I'm watching a different fight here because Belanga don't look that bad early on to me. He, he was taking his time. He was being patient, maybe too patient in spots, but he was being patient. So he wasn't just that guy that he had been. We're just going out there and throwing a punch and, and the guy disappears. He was trying to be responsible. He was trying to do it the right way with a better fighter. And I thought his left hand looked a little better. He didn't use it enough. He didn't jab enough. He could have doubled it up more. But when he used it and when he hooked off and he uppercut it off, he went to the body off, I thought he did a little bit more. I, I thought that there were spots where he looked like he was developing um, and getting better. But then the other craziness was the commentator making it really sound like Quigley's dominating. And then all of a sudden the same commentator says, yeah, I, I got Belega winning. And I'm like, you just talked for the last five rounds about how Quigley's great <laughs> and, and sensational and as sharp as you ever saw him, and now you got saying you got Belago winning? I, I'm confused. I, I was waiting for Rod Sterling to like take over the booth and say, You're welcome to the Twilight Zone. Uh, you are now in the twilight zone because I felt like I was in the freaking twilight zone. And and then you go to the corner and the corner of Belanga, the, the trainer is berating him early on. And I'm like, wow, what are you? But I, I'm tough in a corner too when I have to be. But like, why are you berating the guy? I, I don't think he's doing that bad. And he's berating him. And then Belanga went from looking confident, looking like he was in control, going to do pretty damn good and early on, which I thought he was, to where he got hesitant. I won't deny it. He got he got a little hesitant. He he was thinking too much. And I started thinking, he I, maybe it's connected to the corner because he's been berated, beat down so much in the corner that he's losing a little of his confidence here. And then the corner turned it around. Again, welcome to the Twilight Zone. Rod Sterling, ladies and gentlemen, you are now stepping into the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Suddenly his corner started being positive. His corner started actually giving him productive advice, started actually giving him instructive advice. And he looked better. And he, he had a real good finish, a big finish. Uh, I don't know what the scorecards, he might have even needed it. I don't know. But he had a real good finish. Um, he almost stopped uh, quickly at the end. And again, I, I actually thought that Belanga reminds me of Mogia. It's funny because that's the lawyer's fight. But he reminds me a little of Magia. Magia was very raw, still a little raw, very raw around the edges, green behind the ears, and he needed to develop. He needed development fights after giving them the freebies that they all get, right? The quick, the easy ones. And he got, he got a little bit of an easy spot for a title. He beats Saddam Ali, who never should have been in the ring with him. He was too small. He was a welterweight in there with a middleweight. I think it was that junior middleweight, but but Magia was a middleweight. That's right. Basically, was a middleweight. And he was just too big for him. And it was just bad management. Bad management by the father of Saddam Ali. And, and Ali was an Olympian. Uh, he's a good fighter, but he, was, he just shouldn't have been in the ring with him. So anyway... Magia dominates that fight. He stops Ali 
and he's got a title now, but he's still green. A lot of people will be saying, but Teddy, he's got a title. I know, but he's still a work in progress. Even though he has a title, he's still work. And I've seen development with him. I've seen improvement with Mangia. I don't think he beats, I don't think he beats a half shot um, Devinchenko. And Devinchenko is half shot. He, he's, he's a little past himself, no doubt about it. But I don't think he beats Devinchenko, who's been in with everybody, if Munguia didn't improve over the last two years or the last year and a half. He showed me improvement. He's still a work in progress. He still has to continue to develop and, and, and get better. And that's how I look at Belanga. Belanga... I know they'll throw names around. Triple G, all right. He's, what, 80 years old now? Okay, whatever. That's fine. But they got to be careful. Take the Keep taking little steps up, but the right steps. Take another step up, <laughs> but one where you don't, where you don't get, you don't get ahead of yourself. You don't put them in with a big puncher. You don't put them in a danger place. Because he's not quite developed. I think he's going to get there. I think Belaga, uh, for all the detractors, all the people that are down on him, they don't see it the way I see it. He, he's improving. Let him keep improving. Now he's getting the fights he really needs that he maybe he should have had earlier. It's okay. Let him continue to improve. The problem now is everyone wants the big fight now because, oh, he's 20 and 0, 21, whatever. Okay, now you got to fight the big fight. No, resist that. If you have Belanga, resist that. Um, you know, Triple G, that's a big name. Good. That's fine because he's old and, and you could do that. But pick the right guy and give him a chance to continue to make headway the way he's making it now where he's getting better. I think he needs a couple more of those type fights. Just a couple, maybe two or three. Uh, and then... And then he has a chance to reach the potential that you signed them to reach when you signed them up. So, uh, yeah. By the way, I knew that that fight was on the, the, the zone. I was being sarcastic because yeah. whenever I think of Tess, I think of him like calling every A-side fighter like it's uh, Ali Frazier. It's just so much excitement and enthusiasm that it becomes like the boy that cried wolf. What do you do when you get a really like top level fight? There's no like, there's there's no newness there. There's no originality. You've already given away all your best lines to like the fight that no one cares about on a random night. And, and in, do you uh, really believe you know, it? Do you really believe? I mean, you you know, you gotta be a little honest. Is there any honesty out there anymore? Where That's what uh, I mean. if it's you're like, fighting a guy that was delivering uh, Dairy Queen the day before to your kids. And now, you you know, the day before, he's ringing the bell. And I love to hear that bell. My grandchildren get all excited. Dairy Queen. Oh, it's Carvel. The, the truck is out there. And they run out. Yeah, And and then you find out that the guy who was giving you the, the soft cone, right? Uh, or maybe, you know, the... the um, he's got uh, only vegetables today. Uh, 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 oh, no, no. Worse than that. He All of a sudden, he's in a ring. He's in a ring with one of these undefeated <laughs> freaking prospects. And then... 
you know, and then you don't see the Dairy Queen guy for a week. Where's the Dairy Queen guy? He got the crap beat out of him. I, I mean, I mean, he got sick. He he got the flu. He got they the gave flu. Him two it wasn't. To catch a oh, 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 it wasn't the ice cream. The ice cream wasn't bad. No, no, no. It had nothing to do with ice cream. He'll be out of the hospital. I mean, he'll be back uh, in in about a week. He'll be back. He, you know, <laughs> yeah, you might hospital. not recognize him. But yeah. he'll be back doing ice cream again, which is what he should be doing instead of being in the ring with an undefeated opponent. That's the problem. Yep. Where you're a commentator yep. and you supposed to know who the guy is dismantling, who the guy is destroying, and you shouldn't get over the top with that because it's not being honest. It, exactly. It, it's like you're howling for your meal. It's like you're howling to keep your job. Yeah, it's like you're trying to pretend you're trying to pretend something better than it is. Like like you think you've got to it's build like it Bruce up. It's like Bruce Buffer giving Bruce Buffer giving his like best like screaming him. announcement for a prize fight. But for like the you know second fight of the night, you no, gotta he save won't do something. It. No, for he like picks the, the right ones spot. That really matter. Hey, listen, Buffett can do it. You know why? Because every fight That's on right. UFC, every fight in the UFC is a competitive fight. Every fight. No, my is, point is, Buffer doesn't bring out no, the like right. jump in jujitsu no, jitsu right. moves for every fight. Only the main events, and, and, and then again, it has some effect. You're right. Well, it has effect because he can do that because it's not over the top. The reason yeah. it's not is That's because right. it's. It, it's deserving because it's legitimate yeah. because you're going to have two you're going to have a highly contested fight on both sides you're going to have two qualified uh, opponents in there two qualified fighters in there but that's not the case where these commentators the guy you're talking about where they go over the you know what is what what's disingenuous about it is that they are trying they're trying to sell the public that this is better than it is. And you know where they make their mistake? Of besides, course. Besides being phony about it. But you know where they make their real mistake? <laughs> they make their mistake, Ken. Where? They, they don't give the audience credit for having a brain, for being intelligent. That no, the audience can see what it is and what it isn't. The audience can see that, hey, this doesn't deserve that kind of screaming. This is not... This this is not a challenge here. This this is a guy that was just put in there to build up the guys. Okay, let's get past it. I get it. And let's go on to the next fight, hopefully a competitive one. But don't Ex don't, don't insult exactly. don't insult my intelligence <laughs> by trying of, to <laughs> speaking of Yeah, speaking of moving on, Julian Williams, our friend, former guest of the show, in tough with against Carlos. One thing, Adamus, one thing Carlos I gotta Adamus. let me just finish one thing. Belonga, for the people that are going to say, oh, well, listen, he got caught some clean shots in a couple of spots. Um, as, it wasn't perfect, but as I said, I thought he looked good early, seemed to get a little hesitant where he could have used the jab more, put punches together uh, more at times instead of one at a time, no doubt about it. Um, but you could also see, like I said, he was consciously trying to be smarter and more responsible with a better level of fighter and not get careless looking for just, you know, for for one shot. Um, and uh, I just, one thing. Uh, oh, the other thing that I made a note. <laughs> the commentator also in Twilight Zone, the commentator had said, that he was surprised early on that Belanga didn't look bigger than Quigley. 
And I thought, again, I thought I was watching a different TV set, Ken, because <laughs> I thought Belanga so looked crazy. much bigger. <laughs> much bigger. Matter of fact, I tweeted, I think it was in the second or third round, I tweeted that Belanga was too big, too young, and too strong, and too confident for Quigley. In the end, he was. In the end. He had to get to the end, but he was. But, I, I again, it was a weird night. But, but with the commentating in the corner screaming at him and, and then being better towards him later on, um, it, it was... It just made for it made for a lot of strangeness. But as I said, my advice to the management now is it's all about the choices of opponents. Um, it's going to be crucial for Belanga to continue to get better. So that's it. That's it. All right, cool. Uh, like I said, Carlos Adamas gets the TKO in the ninth against our friend Julian Williams, J-Rock, former guest of the show. Um, with his with his trainer, they had some choice words for the referee after the fight. I thought the stoppage was pretty bad. All three judges had Adamas up in the fight. Let me read you the um, scorecards just as a, a housekeeping here, so we're all on the same page. The judges had him uh, had Adamas up 78-74, 77-74, and one guy had it 80-72. Seemed a bit aggressive, but after the fight, they interviewed um, Julian and. Um, and his trainer, Breadman, and they were both like, you know, and I agreed with them, like, dude, this is a this is a top level fight. He, I he hadn't hadn't been down. He was getting beat up, but I didn't think he was in danger of getting hurt. But you know, in boxing, a one punch could uh, change the guy the course of the guy's life. What'd you think of the stoppage? What'd you think of the fight? Uh, do you agree with the scorecards? Obviously, there was big discrepancy from the tightest to the widest. Um, what do you, what would you think? That. The fourth round was incredible that Williams survived it. Incredible. What heart. Yeah. What, just what grit, heart, um, toughness. Williams, the former champion, like you said, we had him on a couple of years ago after he upset Jared Hurd to win the title. The heart that he showed and the experience to survive that fourth was incredible. Then the ninth round, he was hurt again, similar to that. And he was he was taking a beating. Uh and he was surviving it, but he was getting he was getting beat up. But then there were actually spots that the referee could have maybe stepped in earlier. But then he chooses a spot where Towards the end of the round with 15 seconds left, whatever. And I'm not saying that the referee's cognizant of the time. He's not. He just, all he's basing his decision supposedly on <laughs> is whether or not the guy can continue or he's in danger and he can't continue. That's all. Not on how much time is left, how much time is left. <laughs> it's supposed to be strictly based on that. And Williams, he picks a time, the ref, a time where the referees are under siege, where weekend and weekend out, you're you're seeing some kind of bad decision by a judge or by the referees in a in the ring, you know, doing something that just again, as I said earlier, just makes you just makes you scratch your head and say, you know, why what what's going on here? You, they you you got noble warriors getting in the ring, and you can't have you can't have honest, competent, you know, non-biased refs, or at least where 
refs and, and, and judges where at least you feel they're not biased, where not week in and week out you can point a finger and say, well, that didn't look right or that wasn't right. So I think people were more on down about it <laughs> because it's following so many weeks of, of examples of bad refing, bad judging where the people just fed up. They just felt like, oh, again? Here it is again. So he picked a, a bad time after Adamus is dominating the round, winning the fight, but dominating that round. And he picks that moment where Williams is near the ropes. He wasn't in good position. I don't think he could see everything that a referee's supposed to be in position to see going on. <laughs> and he saw a punch thrown and maybe landed by Adamas, but I think he made up his mind. I think that he had already made up his mind that the accumulative damage that Williams had been taking for the for a lot of the fight and now in this round that he made up his mind that he took enough <laughs> that that he should stop and maybe he's in danger of getting hurt if he continues taking these kind of punches. Uh, or this kind of, uh, you know, this, this kind of batterment that he's taken in, in spots throughout the fight. I think he made up his mind, and that's a problem. Because once he made up his mind, he wasn't seeing what a referee always has to see. What's going on in front of you at that moment in the ring? He was no longer seeing that. He saw a punch thrown by a dime. I think we have it. We can put it up. I told Rob to get it, to put it up. But you could... Adamus drew a punch that landed. And I think, like I said, he already had it set in his head. Okay, I'm going to stop this. And he started to come in. And what he didn't see was Williams was still okay. He was still aware of what was going on. He was, you know, he wasn't stumbling around. And he was actually throwing a punch back. He was actually doing what you want to see a fighter do before you stop a fight. <laughs> you want to see, do they retaliate? Do they throw back? Do they defend themselves? And do they throw back? Do they have the wherewithal to throw back? And he did. And then he steps in. Like I said, I don't think he saw it. I think that he already, <laughs> and here we're going to see it. Rob was right right there as I wanted him to be, um, to get it. And here it is. That In the white is Adamus. And Adamus is attacking. He's a southpaw. He throws a left hand, partly blocked. Some of these punches are not landing. They're being blocked. But there's no doubt that he's taking. And again, I think he made up his mind. Let's see it again. He just, he steps in. And you can see the reaction of Williamson. Uh, Yuri, where, uh, that's Williams. exactly what I thought, Teddy. He had his mind made look, up. They're not, and he was they're like, not just landing. Ken, look. Those are now he's been hurt earlier, no doubt about it. But uh, those but were I think blocked. To your point, he already had his mind made up. He he did because he doesn't even see. Look where he is. He doesn't. His back's turned. I know. He doesn't see that Williams is landed. He doesn't see that Williams is is alert, aware. He's not staggering. He's not in trouble now. Again. I will make the case that before that he had been hurt. I will make the case that throughout the fight that although Williams had his moments 
because he had his moments where he caught Williams, caught Adamas with straight right hands, caught the southpaw with the southpaw killer, <laughs> the straight right, and he staggered Adamas a couple times. He did, but Adamas was physically stronger, um, f- physically, you know, uh, he was he was stronger. He he was he was more equipped for an inside fight. And when he got to the geography <laughs> that Adamas needed to be at his best, which was in close, he had by by far the upper hand. He that's where he did his damage. Even in that ninth round, he caught Williams with a short right hand on the inside. <laughs> Williams needed to be on the outside. Now he's a gutsy guy. He fights wherever he has to fight. But Williams, the geography for Williams to really have his best chance to win this fight was to be on the outside, using his jab, using his legs to move, to keep Adamas from getting set and getting into getting into his in, into what he does, which is to come at you in waves. You know, to get into his wheelhouse where Adamas at his best, he comes at you in waves. He's physically strong, uh He'll throw punches at you like a rain burst, like where it's a cloud burst of punches uh, coming at you, and and you you better not get stuck in that storm because if you get stuck in that storm, you know without an umbrella, you 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 got a problem. And he he was doing that. He was he was coming in waves uh, with with torrential outbursts of punches where. Williams was surviving them, but Adamas was the boss. Adamas was ahead in the fight. Adamas was having his kind of fight, where for the most part, he was getting to fight again in the area in close that made sense for him, being a stronger guy, being a more physical guy, where he could do what he needed to do on the inside. Williams tried to fight the fight plan that made sense for him on the outside. And he did in spots. And he landed right hands <laughs> in spots, staggering Adamas in a couple of spots. But he wasn't able to be consistent at that kind of fight on the outside where he had to do it round after round for 12 rounds. And you know what? It's hard. It's very hard when you're fighting a guy that puts that kind of pressure, <laughs> that's that physically strong, it's hard to fight the right fight on the outside, moving, jabbing, picking spots, pot shotting. <laughs> it's hard to fight that fight for 12 rounds. You know why? Because it mentally, emotionally, and physically takes a toll. It takes a toll on you because you have to work harder to keep the guy off you, to control the guy, to stay ahead, to stay out of danger than he has to work to put you in danger. <laughs> because when a guy's coming forward, he's coming forward, he's in charge. So mentally, he's in a better place. Emotionally, he's in a better place, a more confident. He's not being worn out mentally and emotionally the way a guy is that's being attacked all the time. <laughs> when you're being attacked all the time, you're getting worn out. You're getting worn. You're getting broken down. And Williams was getting broken down to his heart was keeping him in the fight. No doubt about it. But he was. There were rounds he won, but but there's no doubt that that 
Adamas was ahead, that, that he was doing what he wanted to do, which and accomplish what he looks to accomplish in his fight, which is to break you down, wear you down, round by round, punch by punch. Uh, there's no doubt that that was... And again, to fight the kind of fight that I thought Williams had to fight to really win this fight, it, it, it's very hard. There's, there's a reason why Ali didn't fight that against Foreman. Fighting on the outside, moving. <laughs> yeah, Ali was older. That's part of it. But he couldn't sustain it uh, for, for all those rounds. Ali could not sustain moving and jabbing and pot-shotting on the outside against Foreman, the beast that wanted to be close. So what did he do? He came up with the rope-a-dope, and he broke him down that way. But Ali is Ali. He broke him down that way. But he took punishment to do it. But he got the result that he needed to get. He knew that he couldn't move around and do it for the entirety of the fight. And I think that Williams understood the same thing, <laughs> that he couldn't stay on the outside uh, it, it, and and to the credit of Adamas, he was making Williams expend more energy to keep him off, to to try to win rounds, to survive rounds, to be in a fight. He was making him expend energy, taking petrol out of the gas tank that would would hurt him down the down the stretch. That would would help Williams down the stretch. Again, Williams didn't have to work as hard in those first five, six, seven, eight rounds as, uh, uh, not Williams, Adamas didn't have to work as hard as Williams had to work in those first six, seven, eight rounds, nine rounds. And it had a toll. And I think it depleted his tank a little bit. Uh, it definitely had a toll on him. And a lot of times the fight comes down to <laughs> Who fights their fight? Who gets to the place, the again, the geography, where you're fighting the fight that makes sense for you? And for the most part, for the most part, that was Williams. Now, look, I understand. I mean, that was uh, Adamas. Now, look, I understand why Adamas's trainer was so upset because we just showed it. At that moment was the wrong moment you mean to, why um, why J Rock's trainer was so upset? Yeah, why J Rock? I think he said where, Adamas, yeah, yeah, you're right. Where Williams's trainer was so upset with the stoppage because at that moment the referee was in poor position. He he shouldn't have stopped it at that moment. Now again, would it have made a difference? I thought that Adamas was was in charge. He was the boss. Uh, he was starting to take over that fight, especially in that round. Uh, maybe it would have avalanched into continuing in a 10th, 11th, 12th round where maybe he would have got Williams out of there. But Williams deserved the chance to land another right hand He at that moment. And then, look, if, if the next round is more of the same and Adamas is dominating, stop it. Stop it. But Agreed. he That's exactly I think, right. I think he, he deserved earned, the right to continue. Yeah, I think he earned the right to continue. And his trainer earned the right to say what he said because of that. Yep. And also because of the low blows. No there were nobody really 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 touched on that enough. 
there was a lot of inside fighting yeah. where Adamas was fighting inside where he wanted to be, where he needed to be, and, he, and go to the body to wear down Williams, which was doing the job. It was a smart fight plan by yeah. Adamas, and he was executing it really well, going to the body, taking, putting water in the basement. But a lot of those punches were low. There was a lot of punches that were yeah. straying a little low. Oh, you're right. And, and the referee never warned him. He never, he never, obviously he didn't take a point away, but he never really stopped him from doing And I think that Williams' trainer was really upset, obviously about the stoppage, but about the way that the referee went about controlling or not controlling the fight all night when it came to his fighter and and not yeah. not, not in any way uh, saying anything to Adamas for low blows that his fighter was taking throughout the night. That's right. I, I think it was a lot of what the trainer, what the trainer you would expect him to a trainer to do is defend his guy to the end. I think he was defending so. him. And I think he was frustrated that with both with the stoppage and also that hey. All night long, what did you do? You let my guy take low blows. You know, a lot of them were legitimate body shots, but you let him take a lot of low blows. You never once stopped it, and now you're freaking stopping the fight and and take it take it away. My fighter's last chance, his last chance, maybe you know, to to get a title back where for a payday. You yeah. know, where maybe maybe I think you know it was an interim title where maybe he can. Uh, Maybe he can land the right hand. Maybe he can pull it out of the fire. It does happen. It does happen in this sport. You know, I don't know that it was likely it was going to happen, to be honest, as I just said. But he earned that right to have that chance to find out. Yep. No, I agree. Um, we got a few more to cover, but let's jump over to um, the Madison Square Garden card. Uh, Adam Konaki in action against Joe Cusimano. Cusimano comes in as a plus 700 underdog and uh, just put it on Adam Konaki. I think that's probably the end of the road for Konaki, although in the heavyweight division, you just never know. The, the top of the um, class is pretty thin after you get past the top three to five guys. So then there's always a payday for a heavyweight who can come in and at least put up a bit of a fight. But man, Konaki did not look good. Plus 700 underdog just beat the brakes off him, knocked him down. He was lucky to get out of the first round. I mean, the ref could have easily stopped that fight. Konaki survives. Um, he landed a few good body shots, I think, at the in the third round, which kept the fight going a little longer than it had to. And then eventually, um, fifth round, uh, sorry, eighth round TKO, Kusamano stops Kolonaki, who hasn't won a fight since he beat of old, old Chris uh, Ariola uh, a few years ago at in Brooklyn. Um, what'd you think? End of the road for Kolonaki, or does he hang around for a few more? Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Are you serious, man? <laughs> Are you serious? Joe, uh, uh, you got me all discombobulated. Listen, Ken, it should have been the end of the road when I, I came on this air uh, a year ago, six months ago, whatever the figure was. Uh, I tweeted it that if anyone cares about this uh, very game, Adam Konaki, they should retire him immediately. Immediately. Um, before he really gets damaged worse. He's already been damaged, but before he gets hurt worse. Uh, 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 and he got beat up 
by a guy who's not that good. And I don't want to knock any fighters at all. You talked about as the as the road long for Kanaki. Let me tell you something. The winner, the road is very short. That that uh, Kusumano, the road is the road is about as long as my driveway. That's how long that's how long the road is for his career. And listen. God bless him. I wish him well. I hope he makes me wrong. I hope he wins a world title. I, I hope he does nothing but good things for him and his family. I know nothing about him except what I know as a trainer, as a person that's been in this business 50 years, what my, what my eyes tell me, what my experience tells me, what my brain tells me. Kusumano is on a short road to where the same thing that happened to Konaki is going to happen to him. He, he is not good enough he might be game enough but he ain't good enough to compete in this sport in this profession uh, in that division uh, he he's lucky he beat this guy that this guy is so shot so easy to i mean like i always say the old times was, these guys get insulted if you miss them they uh, and like the great mickey duff one of the greatest boxing minds of all time greatest promoters of all time he used to say teddy it's harder to miss these guys than it is to hit them. I mean, you you can't miss them. Kuzumano, uh, all I can tell you, if, if someone's out there look, they're selling stock on them. I wouldn't uh, be careful. Be careful. Don't don't go, <laughs> don't go and uh, cash in your sure don't cash in your savings to go and say, oh, yeah. I'm gonna buy a bunch of stock over here because you know what. Yeah, yeah, that that stock uh, is going to be worth about what this is worth. Paper, paper. So you're that, selling, saying we should be selling it short. No, listen, <laughs> I don't even know Kusumano. if you're going to get a chance to sell it short because I don't know what you would sell. <laughs> I, I don't even know after see <laughs> There's no anybody buyers. With a, anyway, with honesty in their, in their heart and a brain and has been around this business at all. They don't have to be around like me, but at all, we'll, we'll say there's nothing to sell there. I mean, he's a game guy. He'll be an opponent for someone. He'll be a stepping stone for somebody who's going to knock him out. That, that, and listen, again, yeah. people are going to say, oh, you're knocking the guy. I'm, not, I'm here to tell the truth. I'm just telling the truth as I know it, as I know it. Not as someone else knows it or wants it to be because they have an agenda or, or connection or, or they want to be liked by everybody. They want to go along to get along. I've been... <laughs> I'm past that. that. I'm 25 miles past that stuff. Uh, that that no longer exists <laughs> in my life. Okay, it did maybe when I was 15. I completely agree. But, but not now. Now I want to tell the truth. I want to know that I can go to bed at night knowing I told the truth, <laughs> and that I told the fans out there that trust me, that trust us to get the truth, that they got it. So, uh, he like I said, uh, there were moments there where where he looked like Kanaki could possibly even uh, even at this stage even at in this form which is a terrible he's in a terrible place I, I just hope he's okay i hope the guy's okay the rest I, of his I life agree. and that he yeah. and he shouldn't and he shouldn't even have the choice of fighting again i'll tell you why if the people around them care at all about him they won't let him fight and if that doesn't go right and he still tries to fight then if there's a commission that allows him to still be licensed and still fight, they should shut that commission down immediately because there's, because there's no sense in having a commission that, that doesn't commission what needs to be commissioned, that 
would look at a fighter like this, would look at a fighter like this and say, oh yeah, uh, let's let him fight again. If you can't decipher that, if you can't see what has to be seen that he shouldn't fight, then you know what? You, you should not be in a position to be making decisions on fighters or on anything in this sport. On but I anything think we can sport. both agree that but I think we can both agree that the commission is not going to do that and the people around Konakia are very unlikely to tell him no more fights I hope, as we've I hope seen time and time Ken, again. Ken, I pray that you I won't. do too, Teddy, but it's just it's hard to like it's hard to make it to see things otherwise when the same shit happens over and over and over. If someone can make 100 bucks to get this kid destroyed, they'll do it. Um, let's move on. Uh, I don't want to keep being no, a dead right. horse there, no pun intended. Erickson Lubin um, gets the win over Luis Arias in the, with a fifth-round knockout. Arias landed a, uh, was one for a cheap shot in the fifth, and uh, it looked like he lit a fire onto Lubin's ass who came out and just like hit him with a body shot and then cracked him to the head. Uh, stopped the fight, one-sided all day. Um, I don't know. what it, Did we learn anything with that one? What would you think? Again, I'm going to be consistent. Got to be consistent in life. Um, Lubin's 25-2. and two. His two losses, he was knocked out two times. He's a southpaw. Um, I caught his fights early when he first turned pro <laughs> on ESPN. And they were talking about this guy like he was the next great thing. I, I don't know what they were saying, but they were talking about him. And he's a solid enough guy. He's, he don't embarrass himself at all. He had beat a lot of guys, but they were talking about him that he was an elite, he was going to be with the elite. He was going to be one of the best you ever saw. And, and I'm talking about top rank. People that, that are, you know, supposed to know something about this business. They signed them. They had them on ESPN. But I give credit to top rank. They, they got out quick. When they saw what I saw, they, they got out. <laughs> they did. They dropped them. They dropped them. And yeah. I caught his fights on ESPN. And I, I caught it the way I called fights when I was calling fights. That I just didn't see what others were seeing to say the things, the superlatives, the beyond superlatives, the, the, the crazy things they were saying about how great this guy was going to be, the great amateur, great. Uh, he turned pro uh, early. He didn't stay around for the Olympics because he was going to go and win a world title. And uh, everybody was so high on this guy. And when I saw him fight the first time, he won, of course. I, I was like, what is what are they seeing here that I'm not seeing? Maybe I better go get my eyes checked. Maybe I got to go. My, my wife told me to go for an appointment. I put it off. I don't go to doctors much. Maybe I need to, you know, maybe I need to wear glasses when I watch fights. I, I, I couldn't understand what they're seeing. Um, so I was never impressed by him. Again, he's a game guy. He, you know, he, he's a guy that'll beat a lot of guys, but he's not that guy. Um, and, Anyway, before he was knocked out, uh, before he was knocked out uh, by uh, he, the, Fundora, he was knocked out by Fundora. Uh, he was knocked out by Fundora in a fight before this fight. This was like a comeback fight for him, I guess. You know, get back on track. He was knocked out by Fundora. Fundora since has been, he's the guy who's like a skyscraper. <laughs> But except now he's got a lot of broken windows. Um, he Fondora Fund, got knocked out since he knocked out Lubin. Um, like I said, 
he also got knocked out by Jamal Chalo back in 2017. Those are his two knockout losses to, to Fondora and to Jamal Chalo in 2017. Jamal. Uh, Jamal. Yeah, um, Jamal Chalo. Yeah, uh, Lubin, yep. Lubin lost those two. And again, you're, you're losing to two good fights, well, especially Chalo, um, because we don't know how good really Fondora was because when he stepped up a little bit, he got knocked out. But well, at least his, uh, he got exposed <laughs> where they had a guy seven foot two fighting on the inside like it was four foot three. And, you know, I never thought he should be <laughs> fighting on the inside like that. He was getting away with it with that level of opponent. But eventually I thought that the day was going to come. He was going to pay a price <laughs> where he wouldn't get away with it. And he, he should have been taught how to use his height, which, you know, they didn't think he had to. And they found yeah. out maybe, maybe he had to now. And maybe it's too late. Who knows? Brian Mend. Brian Mendoza stopped. Uh, yeah, he did. Stopped uh, Fandor. Yeah. yeah, and Mendoza is the kind Seventh of guy round. that that beats these guys that are built up, that have flaws, but you don't see them early on. They're just built up because they're solid guys. They they've they've experienced. They've been in with guys. They haven't been treated with a silver spoon. They have they haven't been treated with kick gloves. They they're not great. They're not spectacular in one area, but they're solid. They're not going to fall apart. They're going to get in position to, if you give them a chance to time you with a punch, to deliver a punch, maybe they can punch a little bit. Um, like I said, they're not the fastest guy. They're not on everyone's radar to be the next great thing, but they're the kind of guys that upset the apple cart when you have a guy that's been built up falsely to a certain extent with, with soft opponents where you think they're better than they are, where you're not seeing their flaws, you're not seeing the mistakes that you need to see if they're gonna get if they're gonna become a better fighter. So anyway, um, uh, listen. Good luck yep. to Lubin. I hope he makes me wrong. Hey, doesn't mean he can't win a title. There's 452 That's titles right. out there. Uh, last I counted. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Get yourself one. Yeah, you can. You can <laughs> go find one. You can go. That doesn't mean you're a top yep. fighter, but it means that you could get a belt somewhere. And then. What was it? That's there right. Was, uh, what was the other guy um, that was on the undercard? Uh, of uh, This was on the Belinga undercard we're talking about. And then there was, I got to mention him only because he's Albanian. Because my wife's Albanian. But he's also from, he's also from uh, Staten Island. He's the Albanian bear, Rashad Mati. Listen, um, if you're going to really get down to it. Dakota Linger. I wasn't getting into all this. He's from one of the gyms that my foundation funded um, for 10 years. We don't anymore, but we got a lot yep. of kids off the street. My greatest feeling about that, spending all the, the money that the foundation spent <laughs> to run free gyms. One of them was there already, but it was, it, was out of, it was out of operation. The PAL had pulled out. They weren't funded no more. It was closed. We opened it again. We funded it, and then we actually built and created two other gyms <laughs> and they're all in they're all in existence they're doing a good job this kid came from one of those original gyms that the dr atlas foundation funded started um and no longer does but for 10 years we did to get kids off the street turned out we developed a lot of good fighters but that was not that was not really the focus for me the reason i owe kate spending all that money 
and it was about 100000 a year for 10 years. So you could do the math. It was a good amount of money to run. And I had people like Mike Cusick, the, the, one of the good politicians from Staten Island that, that helped me, Jimmy Otto, that, that, the, good, the good real politicians, public servants, not guys that just take, guys that give, guys that understand they work for the people, the people don't work for them. I, I had those kind of people helping me do this. We, we saved a lot of kids. We we did. Uh, boxing can save kids. If it's done right, it can save. We also created a lot of champions. There's no doubt. But that wasn't, again, that wasn't why I did this, why I okayed spending all that money. I did it to save kids that were never going to become champions, but to give them a haven, <laughs> give them an alternative to the violence on the street, to to give them a chance to get from point A to point B in their life. And you know what? People ask me, what's your greatest, what out of all those gyms, and you got great trainers like Lou Manfred in there, and, and uh, you're doing a great job, and all the Lou that's in there, I can't think of his name. They, they're good. They're, they're good people, and they care about the kids. But let me tell you, when people ask me, with all the champions that have come out of these gyms, and they will continue to come out, even though the foundation is no longer involved, they, they, main, they maintain themselves now. They, they're, they're continuing. But... When people ask me, Teddy, what are you the proud? Who are you the proudest? This champ, that Olympian, this guy, that guy. Uh, what are you the proudest of? No, none of that. None of that. There was a girl that was living in Brooklyn in a car with her mother, and she got into the gyms. And my foundation was paying a certified teacher to be there five days a week to tutor the kids as part of the deal <laughs> that if you went into these gyms, you had to go and be tutored by the teacher at least one day a week. She, through that tutoring, through the gyms, through the confidence, through the direction, through the discipline, through everything that those gyms provided for this special girl, she's in the United States Navy now. That is why, no matter what, I got disappointed by a lot of things with those gyms. I did. But I'll never be disappointed in the end with those stories. That, that, and she wasn't the only one, but that's the one that stands out. That that girl is in the United States Navy because those gyms gave her the support she needed at that point in her life. Gave her the, helped her. With the direct, it was her character too, no doubt about it, but that it helped her with the, with getting to the right place. It helped her, just helped her a little bit get from point A to point B, and for all that, for all the disappointments, and there were disappointments. I'll be honest with you, but I would do it again just for that one per, and it was more than one person that's been saved, but for that one. So this kid, good kid. And I got to mention it real quick, <laughs> only because, not, not because he's from the gym, even though you brought that up. I wasn't even going to bring it up, uh, but uh, Staten Island and all that stuff. But because he's Albanian. My wife's Albanian. My children are part Albanian. I love the Albanians. And they would be mad at me because they all come out behind their fighter. They come out with the flags. 
They come out with droves. They buy tickets. They go out there. And they would be mad if I didn't mention him. Look, he's got a long way to go. His name is his name is Rashad Mahdi. He's now 14-0. and 0. He beat a tough kid, Dakota Linga, who had won the tough man. Look, he, he beat a kid that is very raw, very game, but not very good, quite frankly. But very game, very tough. The kid he beat, I think, has been stopped three times now. So I don't think he's ever been dropped, but I think the ref has stopped the fight three times where he's been outclassed. And and that happened again. But he was in there with a guy coming forward, <laughs> um, game, trying. And the thing that, again, Twilight Zone, that confused me with the commentating, at one point the commentator says, well, Linga obviously, you know, isn't hard to miss, which he's not. <laughs> uh, he just walks in, which he does. He's He's very... Uh, he doesn't have much technique, which he doesn't. He's just a game kid. Just just a game kid, that's all. But one thing that they said, they said, but he has heavy hands. Heavy hands? Though Maybe if he's in the gym with barbells in him, Ken, <laughs> maybe then his hands are heavy? Maybe? Like if he's picking up a couple of 20-pound barbells? All right, heavy hands. But in the ring, as a fighter, I did not see heavy hands. I just saw a game guy with a big heart that was outclassed um, by Marty, who was a good amateur, a very good amateur. He's a young kid. Again, they call him the Albanian bear. And he's from Staten Island. Uh, he's a That's good kid. That's a great kid. nickname, by the way. He's a good kid. His father's involved. That could go both ways. That could go sideways too with father's involved. So again, you get the truth here. You don't get BS, even if he is for my trip. But the father's done a good job with him so far. Obviously loves him. Obviously very involved. Very, very proud that he's a fighter. Hopefully things can continue the right way for him. I thought the kid, to give a quick breakdown, I thought, look, he had the right opponent in front of him. But I thought... He moved too much. He almost, some people were knocking him. They said, Teddy, that guy runs all night. I don't know that he ran, but I get it. Uh, he moved too much. And I'd like to see him, but that comes down to a trainer where you need a trainer to teach that. And there's not a lot of them out there, quite frankly, that that, that can teach really the right way. And, and maybe that's what he needs. Maybe that's what he needs. But whatever, because now you're in the pros. You're not in amateurs no more. Uh, you to you got to be able to sit down a little bit, be smart. Don't be obviously don't be a sitting duck. Don't be irresponsible defensively. But he's not a real physically strong kid. He's still growing. He's not physically so I get it. But instead of running and moving all over the place, I would rather. He steps out. He controls range. He's got long arms. <laughs> he's got a pretty good reach on him where he could step out. He could set his feet where he could grab the floor a little bit. Still be elusive. Still not, you know, be in front of you where you're a target, but where you can step out and you can fire back. If you're running all over the place, it's hard to do that. But if you step back and you set, you still can get out of harm's way. <laughs> You still can control the ring. You can navigate the ring. You can have ring generalship without running. And where you're a little bit more enticing 
to watch. You're, you're a little bit more fan-friendly to watch. And now look, he'll get a chance to do that, but and to develop, but he needs a trainer to help him in those ways where you learn those things too. If some night you got to get on your bike to pull it out, get on your bike, pull it out. <laughs> you could do it. But on the other nights, be able to grab that floor, step out, be able to counter back, be able to make the guy pay a little bit more, be in position for defense and offense, you know, be able to move your head, make a miss, and then counter instead of just using your legs uh, 90% of the time, where some guys who are a little bit better might track you down, might, might know how to track you down a little bit better, where they start to get confident because they feel <laughs> that you have nothing to hold them off with. You, you know, so I'd like to see him improve in those dimensions uh, a little bit. I remember the kid when he started, he was like 12 years old. So obviously I have a little bit of heart form uh, in that way, even though I haven't seen him for years. Uh, so I, I would, but uh, again, uh, you know, we're giving him a little play. We, we got you know, we get 300,000 people uh, just only on our subscriber list that, that can hear about this if they're watching. And if it gives them a little boost, uh, you know, I, that that's a good thing. And obviously, he's going to sell tickets too. And, and again, he's got a promoter. He's one of those kids that's got a real promoter. So he's going to be taken care of. He's going to be given the right fights. But remember... Pay me now or pay me later. Where, yeah, but sooner or later, if you don't learn the things you have to learn, even though you're fighting guys, you could get away with a lot of stuff. But if you don't learn the things you got to learn now, you're going you're gonna to pay a price later. Sooner or later, you got to learn those, you gotta learn those things. So anyway, just from yeah. here... I'm, and I'm hopefully, hopefully, Marty and his team appreciate the uh, color because the amount of requests we get from people to talk about this guy, talk about that guy. There's just only so much we can cover every week. So shout out to Marty and the team. Hope he continues to do well <clears throat> and we'll be watching. Um, Teddy, that's a pretty thorough breakdown of two weeks worth of uh, action. We got uh, two hours and 10 minutes. Hopefully the fans feel uh, satisfied with the uh, coverage. From the last two weeks, Listen, we only slow did weekend it. in boxing. Ken, we only did it, and we added maybe an hour onto the show, or maybe 45 minutes. You know why? Because we love you. Because we know <laughs> that you missed... We know that we didn't give you those fights last week. We Ken was in the desert. You know, thank God he came out of the yep. desert. Thank God he came. I wasn't <laughs> sure if he was going to make it out. I'll be honest with you. But <laughs> thank, true. And I'm, Me too. But but thank and either was he. <laughs> but thank God he made it out of the desert. Um, I just felt we could have made it easier on ourselves to be honest and skip forty five minutes of today, course. not covering this. But I felt that I really felt that it was important. And Ken felt the same way. To to bring yeah. you, I don't care if it's 10 of you out there. It's a lot more than 10. There's thousands. But I don't care if there was 10 of you out there that wanted to hear about those fights last week that didn't get us to talk, get to hear us talk about. I wanted to make sure that you 10 got us, got to hear us and our thoughts on those fights. So. On all the fights that matter for sure. And this weekend coming up, slow weekend in boxing. There's a couple small cards. And there's a UFC uh, fight night. Sean Strickland in uh, main event against uh, Ma Maga Magomedov. Um, 
but we'll be back next uh, next week to cover it all per usual. Back on the regular schedule. Thank you guys. That's an for interesting, Ken. Ken, that's week. an interesting fight. Of course, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they usually I mean all are, the well, all the fights on UFC are, are interesting, but that man, yeah. that's a, that is an inter. Who do you like in that fight? Real quick, real quick. I like Strickland only because I like him personally. Um, if He's I had to strong. make a wager, I'd probably take Magomedov. Magomedov. Yeah, me but too. I hope, I hope Strickland I mean, gets the win. He's entertaining. Yeah. I love to see him fight, and uh, you know he needs a win. No, no, I I agree. He's, I tell you, I mean he he strikes well. You know he strikes well. Um, you know he's Strickland one in th- one and two in his last three. He lost to Alex Pereira, Alex Pereira, and he lost to Jared Cannonier. Uh, yeah. Decision to Cannonier, but he got knocked out by uh, Pereira, and then he yeah he got back knocked out per- against, Pereira, uh, of course. Imovov. Yeah, he got knocked out Pereira by Pereira, who knocked out our man Adesanya, and then Adesanya came back and knocked him yeah. out. But I'll tell you something about Pereira. I just finished giving accolades to Cadenier. Uh I'll tell you something about Strickland. I just finished giving uh, accolades to to um, Cadenier, and I thought Strickland, I thought that fight with Cadenier was close. I, 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 I'm trying to... Re- reviewed in my head now because it's been a while but he 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 surprised a lot of people in that fight Strickland or at least that fight that was a close fight he he fought a good I know yeah. I know Cannonier's 39 years old I I get it but Cannonier just looked so impressive the other night so impressive and then when you attach that to how well Strickland fought him and and I don't know if some people might have thought he won, but I'm trying to remember if I thought that. But all I remember is that was a close fight. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think he should be the underdog in this fight. I think it will be a tough fight. But again, with that performance that he had with Cannonier, at least that bowls well uh, for Strickland, who's going into a tough spot. Yep. For sure. Well, Teddy, like I said, uh, thanks again for um, guys putting up with me uh, being off the grid last Monday. <clears throat> thanks for the fan. Thanks to the fans for tuning into the Jerry Eisenberg interview. Hopefully, we got everything uh, covered that you guys wanted to hear about. And we'll be back next week, per usual, to break down the UFC and uh, any events, any ongoings in the. Um, Boxing world, we've got some huge fight, a huge fight coming up on July 29th, obviously, with uh, Crawford Spence. We'll be recording a fight plan sometime in the next few weeks, so we'll get that up for you guys. But uh, a lot of exciting things coming up, obviously. Our man um, Dustin Poirier in action on the 29th as well against Justin Gaethje, part what two. What a fight that's going to be. Um, yeah. Yep. So with that, Teddy, thanks again for last week thank you for all the support appreciate you guys and uh please if you're watching on youtube please subscribe to the show leave us a comment keep the love coming and uh we're gonna keep delivering the content thank you guys for being with us and teddy have a great week